Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, episode number 91. With Jessica and John Hannigan, the authors of the brand new book, SEL from a Distance, Tools and Processes for Anytime, Anywhere. This is a timely and important topic with the pandemic this year and subsequent switch to distance learning combined with recent instances of racial injustice has put a spotlight on the cracks in the practice of social emotional learning. My name is Andrea Samadhi, and if you're new here, I'm a former educator who created this podcast to bring the most current neuroscience research, along with high-performing experts who've risen to the top of their field, with specific ideas or strategies that you can implement immediately, whether you're an educator or in the corporate space, to take your results to the next level. If we want to improve our social, emotional, and cognitive abilities, it all starts with an understanding of our brain. Today, I am thrilled to have behavior experts, Jessica and John Hannigan, who have drawn together a collection of tools and processes for social and emotional learning that can be applied in any learning environment with their new book, SEL from a Distance. Dr. Jessica Hannigan is an assistant professor in the Educational Leadership Department at California State University, Fresno. She works with schools and districts across the nation on designing and implementing effective behavior systems. Her expertise includes response to intervention, behavior, multi-tiered systems of supports, positive behavior interventions and supports, and social emotional learning and more. John Hannigan is an executive leadership coach for the Fresno County Superintendent of Schools in California. He has served in education for over 15 years as a principal, assistant principal, instructional coach, and teacher. Under his leadership, his schools have received numerous awards and recognitions, including California State Distinguished School, Gold Ribbon School, Title I Academic School, Positive Behavior Interventions, and Supports at the Platinum level. Welcome to the show, and thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having us. We're happy to be here. Thanks so much for having us. We're excited. Well, I'm so excited about your book, SEL from a Distance. And before we get into it, I just want to outline what you're what you will learn from downloading your book and and i've got to tell you that i wish i had this book 20 years ago when i was a struggling teacher in the classroom and i taught behavioral students and it was just me and the students with no strategies whatsoever so when i saw your book it was like well not only were you a perfect fit for this podcast but personally, I, want, I got your book right away on Kindle. It's available right now. It's a new book, and I downloaded it off of Amazon's Kindle. But what you'll get, you get the five social-emotional learning competencies with dozens of easy-to-use processes for building each skill. We're going to really dive deep into the five competencies, which we've done on the podcast. I actually launched the podcast with a social-emotional and then we attach the neuroscience to it. What you'll also get is how to identify challenging behaviors and prioritize, define mastery, and teach the SEL skills necessary to address them. 
And that caught my attention because we can't teach when the behaviors are escalating. And then tips for identifying, teaching, modeling, and reinforcing SEL skills in a virtual setting, which I've heard over and over again, how are we going to teach SEL now that we're online? And then strategies for applying SEL to the needs of your unique learning environment. So you have been in the trenches and you know what's working in different places. So um, this is exciting. For this interview, what I did was I actually want to read a testimonial that was in the front of your book. And then each question that I ask you is tied to that testimonial. So that's how I've kind of crafted my questions for you. So the first testimonial that I pulled out was from Peter DeWitt. He's an author, blogger, and consultant. And he said wonderful things about your book. He said, people are seeing the importance of SEL and Jessica and John Hannigan have written a timely and responsive book that will help teachers and leaders create opportunities for students to become more independent and successful now during distance learning and in the future. And I love how you begin your book by addressing what is SEL and why is it so important? That's actually the first show that I created for the podcast. Why is SEL important now more than ever before? Well, first we want to say we love Peter DeWitt. So uh, all you, uh, all you uh, listeners out there, follow Peter DeWitt, uh, read his weekly blog on, uh, on uh, Ed Week. He's, he's fantastic. I did it. I did. I did a lot, and I laugh because he always jokes. Uh, he always gives us a, a hard time and, and jokes with us about, you know, who's the boss here between us. And it's he, not even an argument for me. <laughs> but, but he always says it's John. <laughs> and I always say it's John. <laughs> but um, I'll, I'll hand it off to John to start. But thank you for that quote. Yeah, so with the the pandemic has kind of uh, put us in a crossroads, really, in the way that we identify social emotional learning. I mean, it's it's not a new framework. I mean, SEL's been around for over thirty years, but I think what the pandemic has done is really elevated the need to support our students. I mean, beyond all the research with the mental health, the depression, and all the statistics that are coming out but also in the same sense of now parents who have become the teacher that are now teaching uh, academic content and these skills to their own children. And so I think the view pre-pandemic was if we had a student who was acting out, you know, that student was being disruptive or the student, you know, we saw it on a lens of good versus bad, not a student struggling. Or if we saw a student who was, who was blurting out in class that uh, we didn't see it as a lack of say self-control or, self-awareness. We didn't see it as a, as a social emotional skill that that student was lacking. And just like you said with, you know, 20 years ago when we went to, you know, teacher school, it, you know, we had all those, you know, skills to identify that influent reader where they're breaking down it, whether it's vowel blends or digraphs to, you know, teach those skills to get them reading fluently again. But aside from a couple classes with some classroom management and things like that, that was basically all we had. And so if you'll just indulge me really quick, that uh, part of that, that why it, it really had us reflecting because the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was in the classroom, the way that we addressed our English language development block or our English learners, the way that we supported them, that, that it, you know, they would get pulled out into the language lab and get serviced by the language development teacher 
or it was a 30 minute isolated block. I'm not saying everywhere, but for the most cases, that was, that was how we quote supported our English learners. It was someone else's responsibility, I guess is my point there. Mm-hmm. Pre pandemic, that was kind of what we were seeing a lot with, with students who were struggling behaviorally, you know, they'd get pulled out for a small group uh, or, you know, the counselor would pull them and do some, some, you know, behavior uh, reteachings and things like that. It was, still someone else's responsibility. And so what No Child Left Behind did with AYP, the average yearly progress, and it elevated then those subgroups that those English learners were falling greatly behind their peers. And so we saw that that was not working to support our English learners. So what AYP did through compliance, I'm seeing now that this pandemic is doing through compassion with this call to arms to support our students with their social emotional needs. And so, you know, all of us being in a shelter in place or, you know, now having to teach from home that we're now for the first time really ever feeling the way our students are feeling. And so I think that now is as we come back to classrooms, whether it's hybrid or cohorts or what have you, or even if it's still virtual, we now as parents, Teachers and students are all feeling this need, this importance for in, for uh, social emotional learning. And if if I could just add, there was already a widening gap in the social emotional needs of our students prior to the pandemic. There was an increase in anxiety, depression, excessive stress, uh, lack of engagement, and so this pandemic just widened that gap. Um, and so we really felt the call to action, to be honest. I mean, we were feeling like everybody else and our schools were hurting, our, we were hurting, our kids were hurting. And so we wanted to make sure that we, we helped our schools help their kids knowing that this was a need right now. This wasn't something anymore that we could say, oh, we're adopting an SEL curriculum or, oh, we're trying to figure out what slot of the day we could do this for as if kids only need those type of skills in one slot of a day. And so now it kind of became, nope, the urgency is now mm-hmm. because there is no learning happening at all if our students don't have what they need uh, to know how to address their emotions, their behaviors at this time. And the SEL is now not being treated as, quote, a block of time or a 30-minute block on Fridays or things like that, that it's, it's, it's all day, every day, much like, again, that comparison. Now the way that we support our English learners, it's designated, integrated ELD, it's all day, every day. Um, so that's, that's where I draw that comparison that, uh, you know, we had one through compliance, but I think now this call to arms is through compassion, and it's not just a block of time. Well, and it's knowing how to do it. Right. And, and that's what we pride ourselves. What we try to is kind of do that homework, do that, that doctor stuff, that psychology stuff that, you know, I went to school for, um, for our educators who don't have that comprehensive training. So we try to take the complex and, and not take away from the complexity, but make it doable and practical for right now. Because that's what our educators need. And I think you saw that in the book when you you saw that you know it's aligned to all the research and the core background of castles um competencies who we love but it is also aligned to the 21st century skills necessary it's also aligned to the plc rti mtss research around academic and social behaviors um, and it just makes it so 
it's easy to do, but actually impactful. Definitely. And I loved, I, I loved seeing the comparison of how ELD students were or ESL, whatever part of the country. I actually came from Pearson's EL English language learning division. So I've wow. been traveling all over the US going into ELD, wherever we are, EL, ESL, whatever, every state says it differently. But um, that was my background and my husband's background as well. And so when you made that comparison, I thought, wow, I never thought about social emotional learning as the same way as pulling our students out. But that's true. That's what we're doing for those students. And that's how it was in the past. So it's just now the inclusion. How are we going to include these students? And, and that brings me to my next quote, because this is timely. With the rise in anxiety, depression, and suicide over the last few years, schools have faced the challenge of how to address social emotional needs of all students. Now during the pandemic, the need is more acute and schools require more assistance. SEL from a distance offers an easy to follow framework to build our students' skills in the key SEL competencies. And the authors have taken a complex topic and created an easy to use guide for school teams and leaders. Any school searching for what to do next should pick up this book. And that's from Brian Jaramillo from um, now tell me how I say Lompoc Unified School District. Uh, Brian Jaramillo from uh, Lompoc, out by it. Santa Barbara. Got it. Yeah. So uh, I love the fact that you chose to use Castle's five competencies because it's 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 what I've been in, wrapped up in for the past couple of years over here, and we honor the work that Castle has done. We follow it over here, and we interviewed Karen Nimi, the president of Castle, for episode sixty-two. And uh, their work is so robust. There's so many tools and resources online there. Um, and then, so when I was looking at your table of contents, you've got the tools and processes section that focuses on each of the competencies. So can you just tell me how you wrote that? Because from an author's point of view, I'd love to know, did you notice that, you know, all the little subtitles, um, subsections within each of the competencies. So for example, under self-awareness, you've got identifying emotions, self-perception, strengths. Did you pull educators and kind of put these subtopics under the competencies or where did they all come from? Because you've added what, what you've got here is every topic connected to social emotional learning in one place. So I'll begin if that's okay. Uh, that's also part of, um, I want to make sure Kessel's um, SEL framework. And so they, and they took their, their actual competencies and they deconstructed based on their research uh, in the field of what they thought comprised that competency. Uh, and so then what we did is we took those deconstructed competencies and then we, like I said, matched it to some of the other critical frameworks we work within. And they perfectly, I mean, they, they were right on. And so we decided we're going to go ahead and we're going to take those deconstructed uh, skills, standards, however you want to phrase it, and um, give educators the tools of what it looks like, the tools and processes of what it looks like to teach each of those. Because when you read it, it's like, yeah, kids need to know that. Yeah, they need to know that. But then it's the thinking about the thinking behind 
those tools and processes, how do we actually do that? How do I actually process this through with my students? Or how do I, how do I even know which one of those areas I need to focus on? And so we, we took that and then uh, really it was tried and tested and it's all work we were doing already with schools, but then it really got put into action during COVID because now we have to really think about our thinking in a virtual world. And how do you humanize that experience? How do you make it meaningful? How do you know if the kids are getting it or not? How do you know what they need? How do you know where to start? We need to teach all these things. We need to apparently teach them to adults too, everywhere. So this is, this is not a one time, like you got a lesson, you got this. This has to be very intentional, but we needed people to stop being so afraid of it uh, and not looking at it as compliance and looking at it as doable and seeing those outcomes from their students. And to compare it to a lot of the academic supports we provide um, also when uh, going back to then again, the, the mid 2000s uh, when RTI, when RTI came out, then we saw RTI squared come out and it was like, well, I didn't think that RTI was ever uh, how to um, expedite students into special ed. That was never the purpose, but thanks for creating RTI squared to clarify that. But that was never really the way I used RTI and now MTSS has come out. So as we're supporting schools, they're like, wait, like they're thinking like, here's all these new phrases for the same way of doing something just more, uh, I guess, calm, like, like, like uh, inclusive. The, inclusive, the alignment of all the all the supports. So in in addressing then these these subsections, you know, Costles come out with with their their broad interrelated competencies um, that we found that could also be broken into skills. So we wanted to then take what is familiar, grounded in research that that the most of most of uh, the schools across the United States are familiar with their work. So as opposed to then rebranding it as something else or things like that, where people think these are, oh, here's this new SEL thing that, you know, and rebranding it into, no, 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 let's take what's grounded in research and, uh, you know, find out where schools may be, quote, breaking down and or struggling with their implementation of and, and create a practical application of it. And so that's where what we wanted to do then was take those that are broad and general in nature, and then want to isolate it as a skill so that it could be taught and measured. So one of the other things that we do too, because that's where, again, teachers don't have that specialized background of psychology and things like that to really address specific behavioral needs, but we, we were very well prepared to do that academically. So what we try to do is make that academic connection. So that broad, you know, competency, let's say, of like self-management, well, let's look at something now that's familiar to me as a classroom teacher. Let's look at number and operations. Okay, that's a standard common core math standard, number and operations. So that's a broad skill. Let's break that down into a target. So what would that look like as, let's say, add and subtract fractions? Okay, well, now we're talking. I can now start breaking this down into a skill that now can be taught and measured. So then with self-management, we can do the same thing with Okay, what's a smaller skill from that, which would be self-discipline, where then we can create then that self-monitoring tool to support students. But what we do is we kind of do the reverse, where it's what's the behavior that you're seeing? Well, man, these kids, they're, they're not turning in their work. Okay, that's a behavior. 
they're lacking a skill. What is a tool that we can do to support those students to provide the teaching of that skill so they don't engage in those behaviors again? And if I could just add one thing to that, um, and that really helped me when John and I were really fun, by the way, like we talk education all the time. Like we're really, really fun. Um, date night. But date night, yeah, very important um, in our date night. We need to work on that. We need to work on our own SEL. So um, what <laughs> that really resonated me, with me when John broke it down, when we were just having an aha moment and thinking of it that way, it really helped because you could, you could contextualize, you could kind of, okay, not be overwhelmed by knowing that you're going to break down and, and teach these components uh, one piece at a time and see your, your students growing. You're going to see different levels and see who needs more reteaching, et cetera. I do have to add, um, we intentionally, just from our background with special ed, general ed, and administration as well, because we uh, were in charge of implementing these initiatives school-wide, district-wide, um, we wanted to make sure we addressed what we found in our research that we call the systemic behavior gap. It's also in our new release. They just happened to come out at the same time. What, the SEL from a distance was a more quick, like we need to do this right now. Um, this other book, Behavior Solutions, that we wrote, uh, it took over three and a half years to write. Anyway, in that work, we found what's called the systemic behavior gap. And what that means is if, if we're not collaborating, coordinating, building capacity, using data, aligning our systems, then there's going to be a breakdown. And the reason I'm saying this is because if teachers don't see that the data is telling us, and not just discipline data, but their perception data is telling us that there is a, there is a, there is a challenge, there's a problem. Um, they, they won't understand, they won't see how what they're doing is related and making an impact. They'll kind of see it as compliance, like, oh, January's the only month we teach empathy. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Teach empathy in January for all we care. But you also should be teaching self-management or responsible decision-making if your data is telling you that that is a need. There needs to be an intentional focus in how we see if it worked or not so that we could find meaning in our work rather than it just being, like I said, compliance. We did our session. Great. And we didn't see an outcome. I'm just wondering, I didn't ask it in the questions, but how are you measuring SEL? I know there's some companies out there with tools, but how are you doing it specifically? Do you want to start? And then I could. Yeah, I mean, we by name, by need. I mean, you can you can walk into a classroom and see that a student's struggling within five minutes. You don't need to do screeners for every student. Not that we're opposed to screeners, but uh, as a former principal, you know, even with those, like, let's say those reading screeners, you can have one for fluency that takes a minute. Um, you know, that says a student's high risk, but as the teacher, you can listen to that student read for. 10 seconds and know that the student's high risk. So how diagnostic do you want it to get? On the flip side, you know, some of the most that are the highest in validity and re reliability take 45 minutes per student. So do you really want to spend the first couple of weeks doing screeners for every student or reserve it for the most intensive so that then we can go diagnosing into uh, where they're specifically breaking down? And I have, oh, yeah. I have a couple, um, a couple additional ways that we're looking at this. 
so data, as you know, can mean a lot of things for a lot of different people. And again, I started off as a school psychologist. So I was all about the screeners, assessments. That's my training. That's my background. Um, and I loved them. But I also noticed that there was teachers and admin who had no idea what they were for. And, and as soon as we were done with it, it was like, thank you. Here you go. Now you take care of it. Um, so we wanted to get away from that. And in behavior solutions, we talk about like the leadership role, the, the different teacher teams role, the interventions team, team role and responsibilities and doing this not in our own silos. But to answer your question right now, and what's been working right now is really following improvement science and really going back to the basics of plan, do, study, act. What is our data telling us? What is our precise problem statement? Whether it's by grade level, whether it's school-wide, whether it's an individual student, what is our SMART goal? Where is their baseline? If you're telling me and you're calling me and you're saying, you're describing all these things wrong, then we need to turn the narrative. We need to figure out a way. How am I going to get you to feel at a place where you are rating that the student is improving in those SMART goals? Mm -hmm. uh, and then we adjust. We refine. We see the kids that have met those goals, and then we continue giving that intervention, which all that means is reteaching and remediation, which doesn't mean a kid doesn't know the difference between right or wrong, but is having multi-year gaps in actually applying those skills and generalizing beyond, beyond just the counselor's room, you know, like in real life. Um, and that's our, that's our main goal. So we, we help schools, and you'll see probably in the first two chapters, you'll see that we have a process of prioritize, mastery, and then the SCL teaching actual process of identify, teach, um, model, reinforce. Because we need those teams or those teachers to be intentionally thinking about why they're doing this and what outcomes they're trying to achieve and celebrating those and continue responding to our students' needs based on that. So it doesn't matter what curriculum is adopted. We love, we love second step. We love, we, I mean, there's tons of SCL curricula out there, but we want our teachers our teams, our leadership to have ownership in the purpose, the why, and by name, by need, how are we impacting? Not just, great, we met our requirement and we have a state-adopted curriculum. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, okay. So we want them to focus more on the process as opposed to a curriculum. A it's curriculum. beyond the curriculum. Yeah. And, and do we have a school-wide system in place for prevention school-wide, you know? And so, mm -hmm. so, you know, beyond, you know, I could have the best screener in the world, but if I don't have a school-wide system for prevention, I'm going to have a lot of students. What do you do about it? Man, cafeteria is out of control. Have you modeled and taught them how to behave in the cafeteria? Well, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, then you're getting what you're seeing. Exactly. <laughs> That's how it's designed. Exactly. Well, I'm going to go into another quote here from Brooke, Brooke Warkenton, Director of Special Services from Lemoore Union Elementary School District in California. So Brooke says, social and emotional skills, they are lacking via distance learning. And this book solves that problem. It's structured so that the reader and school teams can implement the techniques and strategies to best meet the needs of their students. 
The rubrics and activities can be easily implemented into core curriculum content across all grade levels. And Brooke highly recommends this book for all school staff, support staff, and district office personnel to truly understand how to implement SEL in a concrete and appropriate way to ensure student success. So I've heard over and over again, how are we going to implement SEL with distance learning? It's come up on some of my podcasts as well. And your book was clearly written with this purpose in mind. So can you explain how teachers are implementing what, what your rubrics are and the activities and how you're connecting to core curriculum, perhaps from a distance? Yeah. Do you want me to start? You started the last one. Okay, go go ahead. I'm just so what we what we want to do is empower teachers so that really making them better consumers of what they're using, and so we want to give them tools, but most most importantly, the thinking behind the tools and a process to use so that because uh, like you said, there's dozens of tools in in this book, and so what what our intention is is that it's not a if then then this kind of kind of scenario that then what we're doing is building that capacity within teachers that, hey, I use this self-monitoring tool, it really helped for this, that the nice thing about that these these five broad uh, causal comp competencies are, they're all interrelated. So it's not like this tool is specifically isolated for this thing. You could, you could apply it to, to other things. So once you know the thinking behind the tool, you know how to apply it in other settings. But also if you know the thinking behind the tool, you can create other tools on your own if you know that what, what its design and purpose uh, represents. And so it's not a you know magic formula or a magic bullet because we all know in working with students that what might work for Brandon won't work for Bobby, you know? And so to have, you know, a kind of a repertoire of tools in our tool belt that, uh, that, that, that teachers feel empowered to, to provide those, those supports for their students on their own. And in addition to that, specifically to how some of our teachers have been using that right now, uh, we really encourage as a teacher team, a, a lot of our schools function or say they function in one way or another as a professional learning community. So we really encourage that approach, just like you would do for any academic standard that you're working with your team on to really uh, do the same for any uh, social emotional standard as well. So really intentionally think about, okay, whether, um, whether it's our, you know, a need in a grade level or maybe a colleague has a need, like how could we work on that together? That's my number one, like that's what I would encourage. And I think that's the best way that it's gonna actually become an intentional part of what we're doing in our planning. I know some teachers don't have that privilege of, um, or opportunity to have that kind of collaboration. And um, is, so for them, same thing. As they're planning and thinking about, you know, what it is that their students need, that they're incorporating some of these tools, processes, strategies within, you know, within their daily structure. Uh, also something that's been really popular, and this is what we created it for, uh, was the priority forced rating scale in the book. The prior, priority forced rating scale is a really good tool. The teachers have loved it. The admin have loved it, counselors, psychologists, whoever it is, because basically it's a rating scale that forces you to really identify right now, if, if I need to rank this from one through you know five, and I, um, with one being my highest priority, 
and five being my lowest. That doesn't mean you're not to address that. That just means the right now. Um, then at least it takes them from thinking they have to do this all to really honing in on one competency. And then that pushes them into looking at what you mentioned at the beginning, the deconstructed, you know, components of that competency. And then they could literally open the book and say, wow, this is my priority rating. This is where I am. The, there are tools and processes around each one of these that I could quickly incorporate into my lesson plan, my teaching. Um, and, and then the plan is, and we've already start seeing it, is that now that they have this process, they have this tool, they have a rubric that they could now continue innovating beyond us. Yeah, and so <clears throat> I guess that, that, that turning that data that we're seeing is, what are my teachers complaining about? <laughs> so if I'm the principal and our teachers are like, man, you know, these kids aren't turning in any, any of their work or the, the, my kids aren't logging on. Or they don't care about or anything. They don't care about that, that, that we're now seeing that as what is the skill that they're lacking and how can we then support them. And so, so rather than following some, you know, you know, simplifying this process into some predetermined list or a topic for the month and then well, we've identified our students aren't turning in work, but it's self-awareness month. And this week we have to teach students how to identify with their emotions, separating from, and just like Jess said, that's, that's fine. But as a principal, that's where, that's where I would get pushback from my teacher saying, but that's not what I'm, those, those aren't the skills that my students are lacking right now. So it may look different from department to department in a comprehensive high school. It might look different from grade level to grade level in an elementary school. So rather than saying this is, this is what you're going to focus on this month that they're choosing based on their highest priority, their needs in, in, uh, in this book provides then the tools for them to, to fill those, fill those gaps so that the students are uh, on track and doing what they're expecting to see. And this is similar to our book. Don't, uh, this one will be short. I know you have the next question. So we have a book, um, Don't Suspend Me, which was designed to address inequities in school discipline and disproportionality nationwide. Um, this was that same idea we gave, uh, we gave uh, basically a belief inventory about discipline should, um, beliefs, then we went into giving them a framework of restorative, reflective, instructional components of how you would teach um, from, you know, um, a, mis a misbehavior rather than exclusionary practices. And then we gave tools for the top suspendable and processes for the top suspendable incidences in the nation and we found that to be so you know to to be so powerful in implementation and we wanted to follow that same model where people could think they could do this they have a framework it's okay if you they already have ex existing curricula or behavior initiatives this is just making it very intentional of how they're implementing and seeing if it's working or not and so the way that we took in Don't Suspend Me, the 13 most suspendable offenses and tools to then keep students on your campus, but still use that as an opportunity to teach and change their behavior. Well, the same way, because we're hearing a lot of sad stories out there that a student has their video off, you know, they're not sharing their screen, so they're getting kicked out of class. Well, that's now let me punish you into compliance or let me exclude you from class and hoping that now you're going to want to really be part of it to then maybe through hopefully this, the, the book with these tools, 
to conduct an empathy interview with the student to figure out because in doing that in, in, in the schools that we support, it was heartbreaking because they saw that, well, I don't have internet. So this hotspot that you've provided me, the only way I can hear my teacher teach is by reducing the bandwidth by turning off my video so that I can hear now my instruction. And it was like, ooh, because they were punishing that student into compliance. Mm -hmm. But that empathy interview is what helped that then surface. That, that answered a question that I had in my head, because as a former teacher, I know how I would keep control of my class when it was in person. I could walk, you know, just by proximity to the student that was talking or misbehaving, and then suddenly they are behaving again and doing their work. But it's different where now we're teaching on a Zoom computer and all these scenarios that we don't really understand, like why is that off? I heard another student um, had physical therapy and he had to take his shirt off and turn the camera off. And then, yeah, and, and the teacher was about to punish for, you know, it's a district rule, all cameras need to be on. And suddenly, no, this particular student had a reason and they had to do a breakout session. So this is all new, the new skills that we have to build, new processes to do SEL at a distance or behavior modification at a distance. We're not used to this any of us right not just the students it's the on the teacher's end like what why is that off not not ever imagining the reason behind it and we weren't i mean we had challenges in this area prior to covid i'll give one i mean you know the example and we've all seen it the kid with the hoodie mm -hmm. and you know it, it's dress code you have to take that hoodie off but without even taking a minute not calling that student out, having a moment one-on-one -on -one when you have the rest of the class going to have maybe a conversation of what is it, what's going on. There's so much behind that. Um, so I feel like now it's just transferred and the new kick out is the mute, you know, or the leave, leave the Zoom, you know, kicking them out of the Zoom. So we're seeing similar um, problems because it's our system's way of telling us that we never had those processes in place in the first place. Like we need to, we need, if, if those structures were in place, it would become very, um, it would be easier for us to start really having those conversations as a teacher team, leadership team, to replicate those processes. Um, so, yeah. Well, this is powerful and timely work because I'm sure that as you're learning um, and creating new activities, you're hearing more and more examples from the classroom. So that brings us to our next quote, and I'm going to need help on Eduardo's last name. Eduardo Ochoa, Assistant Superintendent, Ochoa, uh -huh. Lamore Union Elementary School District. Um, so what what Eduardo said is what a great, what is great about this book is that it provides a clear process to identify students need followed by effective and practical methods to teach these critical social and emotional skills. The learning and support students receive will help them at school, at home, and within their communities for the rest of their lives. This book does an excellent job of supporting educators in an area where they often struggle 
and need additional support. And so I know I've heard that most teachers at this point know that SEL is important. And from a lot of the online SEL programs that I've watched, I've heard over and over again, people don't know where to begin. Like what's the clear starting point for us for SEL? So how does this book identify students' needs and then create that clear path for SEL skills or needs in their school, homes, and community? Where do you begin? So, so I say this to, we do a lot of, of, and they're not bad, but we'll do audits of districts and schools throughout the nation before we even go in to work with them because we want to see if uh, behavior, social, emotional learning is a priority. And um, what we do is start studying their, their district website, their mission, vision, collective commitments, whatever it is, and then we'll do the same at the site level. Uh, the reason we do this is because if you don't have the structures to support that this is just as much as a priority and goal for our school or district as anything else, then you're going to have pockets of success, which is fine. Bless those teachers' hearts. Like, they are doing all that they can, and I just, uh, I, I love the work that they're doing, but can you imagine if, the, if that was actually a priority and supported um, as a school-wide initiative as well, it makes a difference. So I start there, but then um, really I think I recommend is um, I always talk about the why, the what, and the how. And so the why, I've noticed, um, you know, if people, and we've heard this a lot, if they don't know their why, then the what doesn't matter. So all these webinars we're sending them to, all these resources we're handing them, okay, fine, because they don't understand that the why is you know that our our students are struggling with depression that SEL and academic achievement is highly correlated based on research uh, gosh uh, across disciplines that this work is about saving lives and it's beyond just our classroom uh, and really showing those stats of what could happen to our students uh, gosh I mean all the way all the way down to life like um, life age expectancies, like health of the, you know, their health beyond just being in school, the communities we serve. So once you do that and you help your schools or your teams or your teacher identify what is your why, because that should be part of when you're asking yourself, why am I teaching this today? That you are reminding yourself at least just two or three reasons that is your drive for doing this work. Even if you can't see the the outcomes of it, that that is what we know we could improve on. The other thing is common language. There are so many, that's, that's another thing we start with. There are so many educators that hear 5 million acronyms a day. And so really getting back to what is our common language? What does this even mean? And I try to basically get teachers and admin to understand and support providers to understand what is your common language? If these are your priorities of your school or your classroom, what is your common language around this work? And are we aligned on what that is and what that looks like? Um, and then we go into right into our um, our framework, which is pri you know prioritize mastery and then the SEL teaching process. Because none of that will matter for the long term 
if those first things, those pre-steps I just told you are not solidly in place and supported. So those are the foundational pieces. And so then as far as, so then that clear path, what's that first step that we take? And so then that's where on the, on the last question, on the wrong question, on the last question, when Jess was talking about the priority rating scale, so then, okay, so we've identified this is, this is, this is where we want to start. Now what? <laughs> that's another part. And then, okay, um, well, we need to define what mastery looks like. So, you know, if, if our problem statement is that students aren't turning in their work on time, okay, well, here's this tool that we're going to support them with. Well, what would mastery look like? Okay, well, then let's say it's a zero, one, two rubric. A two would be that students turn it in on time with no prompts, no reminders, where a one would be, you know, maybe it was late with a prompt or reminder, and a zero was didn't turn it in on time with multiple prompts or reminders. It's like something simple because we've seen schools spend a month just how do we operationally you know define uh, uh, self-motivation or things like that where it's like guys we need to get going like what's the problem statement and what are we going to do about it and so and adjust and adjust <laughs> so okay. yeah try something fail <laughs> learn from it and try something again and so that's that's part of the improvement science part that plan do study act act is you know continue what we're doing modify what we're doing or completely abandon it you know and then try something else. And so we can't get caught up trying to, you know, spend weeks on a definition of something or what it's going to look like. Um, so that's why we want to take something complex where, where the waters may seem a little muddy and to, to, to provide a practical approach to it. And then the, the third part of that, so it's identify, you know, then define what mastery looks like. And then what's our plan to teach this? And so, uh, you know, that's, that's really the, uh, the, the breakdown of that. Another kind of side note that what we've seen when we talk about behavior, like pre-pandemic, I would say 90% as an administrator, 90% of the, the behaviors that we were seeing were social behaviors, you know, profanity, you know, uh, physical interactions, those kind of disruptive behaviors that, that are frustrating for us as educators. But now that it's been pandemic, it's been flipped almost on its head where now 90% of the behaviors we're seeing are academic, mm -hmm. that, that their students not turning in on time, they're not logging in on time, that inconsistency with attendance or punctuality, things like that, that now, you know, what may have been a misconception where SEL is, you know, mindfulness or deep breathing activities, or which only, is completely bogus, of course, that. or that, that's completely bogus that now we're seeing that holy smokes, like SEL is academic behaviors as well as supporting students that are struggling behaviorally. Yep, those organizational skills we even struggled with in our house. And I'd say you couldn't get a neater person than me. But then suddenly the kids needed desks and we couldn't buy them. And they had to do their work at like, I don't know, the dining room table that was slipping and pencils were flying. It was just a nightmare. And and, you know, we, I thought I would be all organized, but yeah, it didn't, it, I think it, we all can see these skills. They don't just translate for our kids. It starts with us as parents, as teachers, you know, whether we're working in an office, our office space, how is our office space? We cannot function and work without these skills in place. So I think, uh, it's, it's wonderful that you guys are doing this and you're focused on this because these are the skills that are going to bring our next generation into the workplace. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know. 
and we felt the same way. <laughs> we have a four, almost a four-year-old, a 10th grader, and uh, one that went through her senior year through this and started ninth grade virtual or um, college virtual. Well, the other thing that we hear a lot, uh, you know, even as a principal that, you know, some of my teachers, when we talk about supporting students behaviorally, well, it's the parents' job to teach them how to act, not ours and things like that. But now that we've seen our own kids in this virtual space, it was like, what do you mean you didn't turn that in? You knew it was due on Wednesday kind of thing. And it's like, so even getting our own kids where it's like, well, if they're lacking those skills, holy smokes, like it's our job to provide those, you know, goal setting and keeping them on track and focused, uh, getting them that little calendar whiteboard that's right in front of their, you know, so they can see when things are due. Uh, it's just not something that is genetically embedded in them. It has to be taught. And I always tell whoever I'm talking to, parents, um, teachers, admin, ultimately, if, if I could pick two areas to focus on, self-monitoring and self-regulation would be my like favorite because I feel like those could be transferred across. I mean, all of them can, but those two especially. Um, and I think, um, that's been tested, our resiliency or adaptability, even in us as adults. So what I tell parents is always, our goal, the best that we can, is to get them to a place where they understand the relationships between their behavior, emotions, their emotions, behavior, and have their own toolkit, their own resources within them that they are growing so that they know where to go when things get tough. And um, ultimately, we want them to do that independently. That's our job, because what if we're not there, you know, to, to always do this? And that's what we're seeing in the workforce. And that was in that 21st century skill research, even before this, that our students are coming with uh, really that not as much resilience, having challenges communicating. Uh, basically checking out the first time they get a, a directive. I mean, these were some things that, that those can't be options. Like we need to learn how to process those behaviors and emotions and our kids need to know how to grow through those experiences. Um, so I always try to go back to, I love you said at the beginning in a quote, it was in a quote, to get them to independently as much as we can uh, generalize these skills and that's why we intentionally use that in the rubric that there's the independent the with prompt and none at all because that we, we really want to move them into that independent or in the maybe a prompt or two I mean some adults are that way and they still need we still need those reminders but we're really trying to move to where they're pulling from their toolkit yeah well that's what really what habit building is for the skills that we need to do for the rest of our lives and and it, it, what's interesting is there are certain habits and skills that we've been trying to build with our children for years like picking up towels or putting your clothes in a certain place and these things just don't seem to like to be getting across to them I, I just don't know what it is and you know even the people that do the podcasts or write the books what, what's interesting to me is that everyone struggles with the same thing we're not exempt from you know our kids are listening like grade they're logging on and whizzing through and and off building something after school no we're all in the same place right and that's where i think we can give other people some peace that you know we don't have to be perfect things can fall apart and it's totally okay because this is the reality of these days and times right 
And, and where do you think some of these tools and processes came from? They came also from our own action research every day. Action, action research. research. <laughs> uh, Holy um, I'll give you one scenario of just, and it was such an aha moment for us because we're both administrators. You know, that's what we did. Uh, that's what we do. That's I mean, we work in schools every day. Uh, our daughter was willing to take a zero on an assignment one of her first college assignments because she she didn't know how to email a teacher to have a conversation or maybe okay you know i need help with this or the help seeking behavior because oh no we're bought you know i don't no we don't do that i'd rather just you know it's fine it's only 20 it was only 25 points well those 25 points add up in life Right, And so we had to literally sit with her, one of the tools you've probably seen, how to email your teacher <laughs> and self-agency. Yep. How do you start advocating and saying, I wasn't clear on this assignment. Mm -hmm. I need help with this. Mm -hmm. Is there a way I could have maybe one more day or after I meet with you? Yep. And guess what happened when she did it? The teacher responded. They worked it out. She got a 20. Okay, she lost a point or two. Right. Better than a zero. But all I could think of when she, when, and she was so serious. But all I could think of is, oh my gosh, like in life, do you know how many opportunities or um, j just yeah. anything like you, that you will lose not knowing or not demonstrating the not skill? Trying. Not yeah. trying. And advocating for yourself. And so anyway, I was just one example, but we use these tools and processes with our children too. Yep. Well, that skill came in handy for me and it was like life or death for me. When I finished college, one of my grades was not high enough to get into teacher college. And I had to go to every professor and see which one would allow me to create an assignment and redo it so that I could get the right grade point average to get, to make it into teacher college. And and it wasn't an easy thing to do because one of them said, absolutely not. This is what you earned. This is the, the grade that you are. And so I thought, okay, let's go knock on someone else's door. And I kept trying <laughs> to see who was going to give me that that other chance, but it would have determined my career path if I just said, oh, you know, I'm going to, this is the grades I got, you know, I'm not going to, I knew what grades you could apply to teacher college in Toronto with, and I didn't have it. And I knew I needed to have one grade higher. And so imagine that if our students are not learning this skill, there's so many life opportunities that you're going to miss out on because you can't self-advocate, so. Well, we're really glad you got into teacher college. You're amazing. And um, I know your students and educators out there that you're impacting, uh, um, appreciate you, your teacher who gave you that opportunity. Thank you. And, and look at that, it goes two ways because the social skills of the educator that allowed me to redo it and the social skills of the one that said, absolutely not, no chance, right? It's just interesting that, that these social skills, we can see them uh, in our career path. So and, that, and that latter happens a lot where there are some educators and administrators who are very concrete without, you know, it's okay to be concrete, but you also need to know how to adapt 
and understand where our kids are coming from instead of assuming that that's, that's the, the reason um, that, you know, they're not performing to your, to your standards. I see that a lot. Another thing I also see is the administrators not supporting their actual teachers, telling them to do SEL, but then not modeling it themselves. And, and, you know, doing things that are high anxiety provoking or not having conversations with the teachers about their needs or popping in in full blown evaluation mode during virtual instruction when teachers are just trying to learn how to use Zoom. So we also I have to throw that out there. It also goes for the, the district office, the administration to model it for our teachers. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, this brings me to a quote from a student. And there's two quotes, actually. Harmon in fourth grade said, my teacher helps us use strategies to relax our brains when we're feeling stressed. So I love hearing that from, from a fourth grader because I know anxiety and stress are so huge these days. And I've been working with my, uh, my fourth grader here with anxiety, with, with small little things, just breathing out, box breathing, um, taking in deep breaths when you feel like something's overwhelming and looking at a passage and thinking this is impossible because it looks so big to let's break it in chunks. So it's, it's nice that our students are starting to see that, you know, this is, there's strategies that we can use here. And a second one was a 12th grader. Ani said, my teacher told our class, if you need someone to talk to, I'm here for you. This was powerful to hear. I've never had a teacher say that to entire class before. Mm -hmm. And wow. So the students need to feel that sense of belonging before they can learn. There's the research behind that. And, you know, from a 12th grader to feel that connection from that school. And I think it was in Missouri. That's pretty powerful. So what, what do you think about that? What are students saying about the activities that they're doing? Are there any stories that have come out that, you know, you just don't forget? Well, I could start just by saying the power of an empathy interview is just, it's, it's, you can't measure the, the impact of that, that here we are creating these experiences for these students, all well-intended, but we don't know the impact <laughs> of their experience we're you know we're creating these experience but we don't know how how well uh you know they are receiving it and so that's where we love doing empathy interviews where it's just those open-ended conversations where we're truly um you know leaning in to to feel that experience in their shoes seeing their experience through their screen um so that we can better change that experience for the students that are that are that are in that experience and so empathy interviews in, in to encourage story you know just like just like you just did right there um to just ask a student tell me about it tell me about an experience where you know you had a zoom session that that went really well what was it about it you know and just and just to be quiet and let them let them talk and staying away from those binary questions that can be answered answered in a simple word you know or anything like that or those leading questions where you're kind of prompting an answer from them just leave it open-ended and then to actually follow up with them later and, and say partner based on your feedback I just want I just want to share what we're able to now do and to create such a more positive experience for for other students thank you so much 
um, for that input. And we could do that with parents. We could do that with our teachers. Teachers, hey, we're getting back to uh, coming back in cohorts. You know, we want to know what, what this experience is like and how we can better improve it. And that's what leads to re really that collective ownership where everyone feels like they're part of it as opposed to now something new now being done to you. Here's here's what you need to do and here's what you need to without that that input. And so I know that's part of, you know, a specific story, but I just wanted to to, to share that specific process mm -hmm. that is just so powerful to create those experiences. I have a specific story. This one wasn't in the book, but um, it gets me emotional when I share it. And I know John has one too about rewrite your story uh, with a student. Uh, but I had a, a teacher that uh, a good teacher colleague of mine, I talked her ear off uh, when um, I watched Netflix Social Dilemma, which if you have not watched as an educator, a parent, just a human being, you should watch that. It will change you. It has changed me. Um, it's a, oh, oh my gosh, just watch it. But anyway, it's the power of social uh, media on everything we've kind of been saying, but now backed up with data, the increase of depression in our students and adults, um, uh, anxiety, self-image. Anyway, I talked to my teacher colleagues about this in a middle school, and I said, look, this is important. This is a topic that these students need to hear, that they're, that they're actually being manipulated in a way through these processes uh, to think that maybe they're not good enough or seeing all these, you know, seeing all these people doing all these things well or seeing all these uh, filters and perfect lives. It's very powerful. So what, what um, they did, and I'm just briefly, I'm briefly putting this, they took a snippet of that, that Netflix series to show students the impact on teens. And then they did that self-imagery exercise the, in, self, in the um, accurate self-perception. So like looking at themselves um, and really thinking about how they see themselves and then having a classroom meeting about it. Uh, one student after, okay, this is starting to get emotional. <laughs> okay, one student after told that teacher that like she thought she was alone Nobody else was feeling this, that she didn't feel like, I am beautiful, I am a good student, I'm a good friend, and that she had contemplated suicide several times. And so just even, you know, having, I mean, it was a 20 minute little activity. It was a, a little piece of the, the video, it was a conversation, it was an exercise. Um, and I will say, you know, this teacher is intentional about her classroom mantras and it's welcoming and it's safe and um, they have commitments as a class and they really even in the virtual world build these like getting to know each other so the students felt safe to have this conversation um, but that's the impact that's where look we couldn't wait till June or wherever if it said something about your confidence in a curricula like this was just a she was noticing that her students were struggling with self-perception and so she wanted my help in identifying teaching mastering and reinforce so we laid out this this session and this is what came out of it what if she hadn't right what if we hadn't because it was so complex to teach it's so hard i don't know where to start mm -hmm. um, but right. as we and and look at the impact so that's just one example wow that's mind blowing and and how would you know unless you ask and, and create that safe space for that student.
And that's why we do this work, to be honest. Um, I am so emotional today talking about it because we give such, uh, extend such gratitude to our colleagues, educators, families out there, and we know everyone's hurting. Um, and this work is about saving lives. Mm -hmm. That is literally like why we, I mean, why this is such an investment um, in the work that we do in the mission of our equity and school discipline and everything we write about. Because we truly believe if we could make this doable, practical, not scary, give the resources that educators need, make it in a way that they could, it could be meaningful, then, then these are the outcomes we're gonna get. And isn't that the why of education? I mean, it, that was why I got into it. That's why most of us, we, when we think about it, we got into it for that underlying reason. Like I remember when I was struggling with my students in the classroom thinking, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to have an impact. And then I wasn't having an impact because I wasn't getting to the root cause of any of my students. I was sitting there trying to push them to learn and that's never going to work. So I think what you've created here is powerful as we kind of bring this into a close. Is there anything that we've not discussed that you think is an important component of the book? Like, I know we've gone really deep with the fact that you've really tailored this to the five competencies. You drill deep. You have a lot of tools and resources. The book is great for anybody. I've got it. I downloaded it off of Amazon. It's on my phone on, on the Kindle version right now. And off the top of your mind, is there anything you want to say just to kind of bring it into a close? I wouldn't say anything that we've missed. I just want to reiterate to then as, as admin or even as teachers, what you hear your colleagues complaining about, that's a need. So whatever those behaviors are that we're seeing, flip that into a skill that our students are lacking and then go through this process to, um, to teach and reinforce those behaviors so they don't re repeat or re-engage in those behaviors. And the only thing I would add is, gosh, if I could get this resource um, in the hands of every educator in the world and even parents, they might skip maybe chapter one because that's how you outline it in a classroom or school. But even for parents, I just think, oh my gosh, um, to just know where to begin, mm -hmm. just to even get ideas, to start feeling like, okay, I got this. This isn't as scary to teach. This isn't a 10 page, you know, explicit lesson. I mean, there are times where that's necessary, but this is the right now, like this is real life skills. Mm -hmm. and, and the cool thing about teaching them is you're reinforcing yourself too, like you're you're reminding yourself about what you also are struggling with. And I think that's a mutual, um, just a, it's mutually beneficial for a, a, a class organization, a family, you know, whoever's using it. So, um, so please follow us on our, uh, we have an equity and school discipline Hannigan group uh, on Facebook. It's also a page if you just want to like the page. But we share, like, whenever we have times where we'll, we'll do webinars, live chats, we share resources. Uh, we're just trying to build our community to know that we have each other. And this is the harder way. This is the harder work. This is harder than teaching or doing any academic learning in a school. 
And so we're there for you is what I want to say is just follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. Um, if you need anything, let us know, uh, get the resource, trust us on this one. Um, it will help you not only from a distance, but even when it's hybrid and then you're in person, imagine now you've done this at a distance. Imagine what you could do also in person. Mm -hmm. So um, just know that it doesn't like stop when, you know, you're no longer distance. It, it, it's, it's transferable. These, these tools, these tools can be applied in any setting. So mm -hmm. yeah, like Jess said, stay connected, um, reach out if you have any questions. I mean, we're very approachable, so we will get back to you. So uh, hit us up on uh, equity and school discipline or message us on Twitter. We're here to help. And share what you do. We want to hear it and share you like the story I just shared. Like if she hadn't called me back and told me, I would have never known because right. now I'm writing the books and I don't get to be with my kids. Like I want to be, so I don't hear all these things. And so share with us. Um, I forgot to say one thing um, right now on Corwin.com uh, until I believe the end of this month, uh, there's a discount for 30% off. And the code is SEL now. So all caps SEL now. Um, in case you know you're interested in a bulk discount uh, for your teachers, and we also have some tools of uh, how you could process some of these, uh, some of your learning with the book uh, with your teachers as well. So we're happy to um, share any of that if you reach out to us. Wonderful. I'll put all the links in the show notes for everybody. And I want to thank you both so much, Jessica and John Hannigan, for coming on today and for um, sharing your ideas, tools, and resources for SEL um, from a distance. You can follow Jess. It's Jess underscore Hannigan and on Twitter and John Hannigan 75. I'll put this all up so everyone can easily find you and access your work. And thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate your time and for writing this book that I wish I had 20 odd years ago. Thank, thank you, you for so the opportunity. For having us and thank you for all that you do. Thank you. And you're a great mom. <laughs> Thanks so much. You too. Great parents and educators. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.